Hello, and welcome to the Aguilar Conversations, a global perspective. I'm Tony Aguilar. On today's podcast, in August 2021, the international forces led by the United States pulled out of Afghanistan and turned the country over to the Taliban. As we approach the two-year anniversary of the departure of military forces, what is the state of the Afghan people? Joining me today from Canada is Dr. Nipa Banerjee, Senior Fellow of the School of International Development and Global Studies at the University of Ottawa, and a Principal Researcher for the Center for International Policy Studies. Dr. Banerjee is also the former head of Canada's aid program to Afghanistan. Dr. Banerjee, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, um, Tony. I want to ask you this. Um, you at one time had seen some optimism for the nation of Afghanistan, but that began to wane after a while. What did you begin to see that told you that things were getting worse instead of getting better? Um, I would say um, that it was even before I left CEDA, that is uh, the agency, the Canadian government agency that is equivalent to USAID. Um, as I went under the sponsorship of CEDA to the Canadian embassy in Afghanistan, um, and um, I was the head of Canada's aid program there. Um, I started um, uh, my work there in 2002, and I was there till 2006. But in the beginning, you know, starting 2002 um, to even 2004, uh, I was very optimistic. It was something, I must say that uh, Afghanistan was a country was very different from others that I was posted in. I was mostly in Asian countries, like I was in um, uh, India, Indonesia, Bangladesh, uh, Thailand, uh, Cambodia, Laos, and none of these countries were really like uh, what Afghanistan was. Uh, I learned there a lot, but I also thought that I could contribute well. Um, what I found with gradual, with with um, living there, um, when I started getting insights into issues, my position was such that I could attend all the all the important meetings, even with between Hamid Garzai and the donors. At that time, it was Hamid Garzai, but between him and the donors, all meetings with the military and the different programs we were funding. These were some of these were multilateral funding. So I attended all the meetings. So um, uh, I as I started working with them is that, um, you know, I found along with many of my Afghan friends and international friends that there were loopholes and there were gaps and problems in planning um, of some of our programs. And these were multilateral, uh, in, uh, uh, funded by different donors um, together though. And um, uh, there were problems and really there was not very good look at some of these things. 
uh, I have to say that even when I wrote to my um, own headquarters, that is to CEDA, um, uh, talking about some, some meeting that I was in where the army itself was expressing uh, doubts about what was going on. Um, and other programs like, um, uh, you know, uh, drugs and uh, the popium, opium poppy, um, then, um, you know, the uh, army reforms or the police reform programs, um, these were not being very well looked at by the headquarters. And, you know, some of my colleagues from other countries also said the same thing. Um, and that gave me uh, skepticism. And they, these were pretty serious issues and problems. Um, and they, uh, they weren't looked at. And even uh, in the field, what I found um, was that there would be a meeting in, in which um, uh, the army would talk about why and how they thought the small arms and ammunitions program, you know, reduction in small arms and ammunitions, um, a program that was not working out. Um, then, you know, come next quarter, uh, uh, a meeting on the same topic would not even mention that. And nobody would say what has happened. Nobody raised an issue or questions. So I was getting kind of concerned about this. Um, and I was gradually getting skeptical. Um, I must say one thing is that I'm more of a development person than than security. So the development analysis I could make, but I depended a lot on the army, not only our army, but in general, the U.S. Army and other army people. Um, so, you know, this is what happened to me. But let me ask you this, um, even though you were looking at it from the developmental and humanitarian aspect, there are people who will say, that the incursion into Afghanistan was doomed from the beginning because the pretense under which the United States led international forces was a false one. And so uh, would you agree with that assessment? Uh, you are saying that the that the rationale the rationale for going in was flawed from the beginning. So the rationale for invade for uh, the invasion. Exactly. About. Okay. Um, definitely it was because, um, I mean, that was quite clear um, since um, he, like, you know, uh, the Ameri Americans came in um, because they said that th there was the 9-11 attack and 9-11 attack. It was never proved that it was it was the Talib, uh, the uh, the government, the Afghanistan government that did it, uh, or the Taliban that did it. At that time, Mullah Omar, who was the head um, of the Taliban, he said that he did not want to. America wanted um, uh, Afghanistan to Afghanistan that the Taliban government to uh, hand over uh, Osama bin Laden, who was. Uh, in fact, associated with the 9-11. Um, but, um, you know, Mullah, when America wanted uh, Mullah Omar to hand over, um, uh, hand over Osama bin Laden, he said that he was a guest in his country 
and he did not want to, he cannot, according to uh, Afghan culture, um, uh, sort of hand over a guest in the country. And, uh, but there was the war anyway. Um, and um, in fact, the war, um, you know, the decision to wage the war was started before even United Nations uh, approved of this. Um, and um, so, you know, I mean, I would say this was a completely f false premise. You have also been very critical, I guess, of your own government and because you had called for an assessment of Canada's role in, in Afghanistan in terms of money that's been spent, which is about $20 billion in in military aid and another $2.2 billion in humanitarian aid. And you've raised the question of really what has happened as a result of that investment. Um, you talk about schools that are non-operational. Um, uh, Kandahar still being a large place where uh, polio was still running uh, rampant. And so how do you see it now? Do you still feel the same way? Because those critiques you made a couple of years ago uh, before the pullout by international forces. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I haven't changed my opinion. Um, there has not been proper evaluation done. Two things. One is on the military side. Um, uh, that is, that is, you know, led by the U.S. We had our money and some people with the NATO, but United States was in the lead, and there was really never any kind of evaluation done on the army operations. That whether or not, you know, their um, uh, uh, aim or their goal was to um, uh, build the capacity of the Afghan army through train, assist, and advise resolute mission. Um, and um, so that the Afghan army uh, got the capacity level to fight the Taliban on their own. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, that, that had to be done because a foreign country cannot always protect uh, the population forever without, um, you know, without ever thinking of getting out. So they were building the capacity and there was never any evaluation done on build, on how the capacity was being built, whether or not it was there. Uh, uh, because, you know, I mean, there are uh, what I see as indicator um, is the, uh, you know, is whether or not um, uh, the Taliban uh, is able to advance. You know, there was the counterinsurgency from the Taliban is able to advance. And what I found in the long war journal, the uh, the maps that were published and that analyzed, an analysis of the maps showed that the Taliban were making every quarter they were making advances in, um, um, uh, in, in occupying territory from the Afghan army. So, you know, the, this thing I definitely take as not being successful. And um, in terms of development programs, you know, there were three signature projects that we did. One was schools, one was Dala Dam, another one was polio. Women's Canada did these. And all of them were failures because polio, Afghanistan is one of the countries that still has, still is fighting polio. Only one of the two countries now 
instead of even three countries. And um, so, you know, they, they have that Dala Dam. I have written several articles and uh, nobody has contested that so far, is that, um, uh, you know, there was a wrongly planned project for the reservoir that was to supply water to the canal, canals um, uh, that would um, take water to the um, Afghan uh, farmers' fields. And there was never any water reservoir that was created which could be used. There were canals that were cleaned up, but that was of no use, that were cleaned up so that they could carry water. But the problem was that there was no water in the reservoir, so they could not carry water to the farms. Um, and the schools, I mean, there were, there were many, this was our journalist, in fact, um, who went um, to find the schools. Actually, he had difficulty finding the schools because our, um, our um, program people who were there at that time, they didn't know where the schools were because they were never allowed to go because of security reasons, they were, they were never allowed to go. So the journalist, in fact, you know, found the uh, found the location of the schools and um, some of them were not even operational. And there are other uh, studies that are done also, Integrity Watch Afghanistan, that's an Afghan organization that did a survey and I uh, analyzed the survey. I did not undertake the survey, but I analyzed it. And that showed that they were money was going to the government and they were saying that they were sending money for, they were spending the money for schools and the schools were non-existent. Um, and this even happened with the armed forces. You know, we provided funding to the uh, salaries, to the, um, to the army, army officers um, and, um, and there were no army officers in those things. And this happened with clinics as well. So there were ghost clinics, there were ghost schools, um, uh, and, um, and even ghost soldiers. So I say, and then oh, with some of the projects that uh, not all projects were evaluated, uh, some of the projects were evaluated, but results were neither here nor there. You know, they were not really results. They were implementation reports. But but after all of this, you still think that there's a role for the international community within Afghanistan. And one of the things that you have called for is for the international community to engage with the Taliban. Because I think, to paraphrase what you have said, like it or not, they are the de facto and de jure government of Afghanistan. How would you negotiate with the Taliban to help the people on the ground, particularly women and children? That's a very, very difficult question. Um, I wish I could answer with more confidence, but you know, I'm looking at it from, I'm coming from the other side. That is that say we don't negotiate with the Taliban. Um, we leave them alone because we don't trust them. And, you know, there are plenty of reasons for that, uh, that they cannot be trusted. They haven't walked their talks. Um, but the issue is, if we did this, 
we are really almost pushing them to the pushing Afghanistan to the um, late 1990s situation when they would be completely isolated and this time more so because nobody has recognized them. Um, uh, they will be um, they will be completely isolated, and the women and children and ordinary people of Afghanistan would have would have difficulty surviving, or they will survive under such difficult conditions. And I mean, that's why I mentioned that I am I am more of a development person because when I mentioned this. You know, I'm talking from development point of view and anything that has been achieved so far. I wouldn't say there has been nothing. I don't still think that we had achieved a lot under the Afghan Republic. We could have done better, but still there were some advances. And if we push them to a point where they are completely isolated without international community looking at them, then that will be the that will be the situation that they will have to survive like that. Um, now, how to negotiate? I thought of a, um, a carrot and uh, carrot and stick approach. Um, that is, have the Taliban. You know, Taliban. I, one thing I'm convinced about is that is that the Taliban are very much interested to get recognition from the international community. Um, and they are interested in getting getting resources as well. They don't have any resources. They never did, in fact. And um, uh, so if they are, you know, given enough time, given a lot of people talking to them, um, it might be possible that they would gradually agree. Um, I am kind of optimistic because I don't see you know, what Taliban is going to do. I mean, in this kind of a situation, it's a stalemate situation. And um, I really don't know what can be done or what what they can do also. So, um, you know, that that's what I think. And But I think really the way we are going now, I, I, I think there are efforts being ma made, yes. You know, the countries are meeting multilaterally and bilaterally. There are special envoys of the different countries in Doha, um, uh, and they meet with the Taliban leadership regularly, although they have registered no progress. You know, they always say that, um, oh, well, we will look when we can open the schools for for women, etc. It would be interesting if now, coming the fall season, what they do. But um, so, um, you know, that is the, but their position is uh, now that, they want and and when they one thing I would say though they keep saying that what they are doing is according to Sharia law. Well, you know it doesn't seem that it's always Sharia based um, uh, for the children, not children, but what they do for women, um, uh, because a lot of the things that they are doing are not uh, Quran based. I haven't read very thoroughly, but I have read some English versions of Quran. And they don't say that there is no lack of education for women. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, how long can they continue like this? But you. like, you know, I rule out military military operations. Nobody is going to wage a war again. And they have learned the lessons. Uh, and I also don't like the idea of isolating the country. 
Now, you have also made a counterpoint to the Taliban in terms of why they prevent women from working and going to school, which they have tried to couch in the notion of safety. And you brought up the the, the organization from Bangladesh, uh, the Bangladesh Rural Advancement Committee, as a model to confront what they have said about why they don't allow women to do certain things. Could you talk more about, it's known as BRAC, but could you talk more about that and how that could uh, be the counterpoint to the Taliban for why they disallow women to engage in educational institutions as well as working outside of the home? You know, I, I'm very encouraged, but I'm surprised also that you know of this. You know, I have written this. I mean, this is probably the one that you saw, the most recent one. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, I was there. I was that was my first posting from CEDA. And I was in Afga in Bangladesh for three years with aid. Um, there was, you know, this uh, issue of um, fighting wasn't there uh, in Bangladesh. But it was with aid. And. I started working with BRAC almost from their, uh, from almost from their birth, and um, uh, I, and I was you know because of my close relationship, I went and visited many many of their projects. Now, what impressed me, I will tell you why I think it has been the work has been impressive, but um, um, what I found, I I asked them like you know. The Bangladesh society at that time was was pretty. It's a very moderate one now, particularly the rural areas. Uh, very surprising, but the rural areas are more advanced in terms of women's development than the urban. Um, and what they, um, uh, I asked them, how did they proceed? Now, what they told me was that when they go to a village, they work directly with the villagers. And when they go to a village, they don't talk about women's rights or women's independence, um, et cetera, um, but they just go and talk to the mullah. And in Afghanistan, definitely there should be mullah involvement in discussions when the, when the donors discuss. But anyway, so they would go and see the mullah and they just go to the to the prayer sessions. They would have green tea. Green tea is um, um, is a kind of popular there as well. They would have tea with the mullah and cookies, um, and that may go on for three months and without any discussion on rights of women. Um, and then you know they would by the by one day raise with the mullah that. Um, you know, we were thinking that, you know, this front room where we are sitting now and talking, you know, it's not really much used. Um, uh, why don't you start? Why don't you start a school um, for girls in here? And then, uh, uh, no, not girls, uh, just start a school, a primary school. Um, and this is in a remote village. So let's, why don't you start a school? Um, uh, we might give you a rent of $10 or so uh, and um, $10 a month. And uh, in return for that, like the, the mullah doesn't respond immediately. And then uh, he, uh, after another two months, maybe he comes back and says, you raised that option. Uh, uh, do you think we should try? And they said, oh, yes, you know, it would be very nice. The black people said it would be nice. And also, you know, you said that your daughter, you don't want to send to school because of 
security and safety reasons, why don't you? But if it is in your home, you shouldn't have any problems with that. And we will uh, we will do this. Now, then that was the start of the school. The children don't have to pay any tuition. I mean, this comes from um, comes from BRAC's, um, this is a BRAC project. So it comes from BRAC's um, funding from other donors, um, et cetera. And so they start the school. Um, and then, you know, a teacher, and everything is extremely practical. A teacher trained for six to eight months comes in to, for the, this is primary school, so children are very little. And I saw some of these, um, uh, Tony, which I found extremely impressive. I went to the schools and um, uh, what I saw, there were young children, very young children in primary schools. And then there were also girls who were teenage girls. And um, uh, uh, because they hadn't had earlier chances of, um, uh, uh, earlier chances of going for education. And so they were working together. Uh, they all sat on the floor. There were no furniture whatsoever. They all sat on the floor with a small table. It's not a table like a, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, like a tea table mm -hmm. um, uh, in front of them. And the books are all nicely packed up. And um, uh, you, you will be surprised. Brack was eventually... Um, uh, Brack eventually started these schools, some of these schools in Afghanistan. And I visited one of these schools that um, Brack had funded in Afghanistan. And I found that there were, um, uh, there were teenage girls who did not have a chance to go to school in the late 1990s. And therefore they are there and uh, young children too. Now it was just before the first election uh, of Afghanistan, and I asked them um, that if you were if you were given the right to vote, who would you vote for? And you know what? They, I was so impressed. What they said was that you know since they have had the chance to go to school, they find the uh, the uh, the benefit of um, schooling, um, which they never realized before, and they would vote for somebody who would make arrangements for for their children to have education. So, um, uh, and th this kind of school, I don't know if they exist anymore, of course, because of all the, uh, of the difficulties, but I, I saw this school myself. Um, I, you know, uh, and then, so uh, the safety issue, if you start schools, you know, in coalition with the mullahs, with the religious leaders, you start schools in, um, and um, and then the mullahs say that uh, these girls will be going to school at such and such hour and return in such and such hour. And I want their safety assured by the people and there should be no problem. And that has been happening. Um, uh, I saw, you know, some of these children going to school, you know, I saw the election, the first election, I, I was still with um, my agency, CEDA. Uh, I went to uh, visit the election polling booths and there were, you would not believe how happy these um, uh, girls and the women were who were there to vote. And, um, I, you know, the now the Taliban are saying, oh, well, you know, most, most women don't want all these rights to go to the women. I saw that yesterday somewhere. And, uh, you know, that can't be true. 
if it was, I saw it in 2004, the election was in 2004. And, um, and this is what I saw. So there were, and this is one of the things that made me very optimistic. You were, you were telling me that what made me optimistic. These are some of the things that made me optimistic. And gradually things like, you know, I mean, nobody really, I mean, even but, funny. But let, me, let, let me ask you this though. If given what everyone has been through, 20 years, I mean, President Biden had, you know, now this is the longest war that America has been in. As you've said, nations are not going to go back into from a militaristic perspective. Are you optimistic that Afghanistan can be changed in a positive way, particularly as you, you mentioned here today and in some of your articles that you had seen optimism? that optimism turned to pessimism. Is it possible to turn that pessimism back into optimism again? Or is Afghanistan simply a lost cause? I wouldn't want to uh, look upon it as a lost cause. You know, I see a lot of, lot of work going on by women even in Afghanistan. Um, uh, like, you know, I was quite, uh, again, I was quite surprised that women had gone to, uh, you must have read it, uh, women had gone to protest um, uh, the closure of the beauty salon. And, you know, I mean, you might say that it was very cruel to water them down. However, you know, I see some optimism in it because, you know, they did not really have, have a tear gas or they did not have did not have uh, even gunning down of the women. You know, that they had used uh, more moderate stuff to, um, I, I mean, you know, I have never talked to the Taliban, so I don't know how they are. Um, but like, I was very optimistic, Tony, when in the very first days, first few days, some of the Taliban, I saw it on TV, um, and the Taliban, they had come to discuss. And some of them, one or two of them, you know, there was, there was a Harvard graduate um, in there. And, uh, you know, if there are people of this nature, if they could do something. But, you know, I must say that I can't say this so confidently anymore. I mean, because things with women are going worse and worse. Every day there is some new regulation and ordinance they are bringing in, uh, you know, that that shows that they are not interested. Um, so um, do you, I wonder if it's a conversation, have you, have you any idea as to what? I mean, it's, to me, from this end, you have to understand from at least in America, in the United States, First of all, it was a forgotten war that most people really have forgotten about, weren't really thinking about. And when the troops were pulled out, the big story became not really the fact that the United States and the international community was there for 20 years, but that 12 or 13 soldiers had been killed by, by a bomb, by a car bomb. That became the big story and the plane that landed and people trying to hop on the plane to get out of Afghanistan, that became the big story. Yeah. And one of the problems is that Afghanistan was never placed before the American people 
as anything other than a consequence of 911. And people just forgot about it. And I don't know if, from this perspective, at least with the president administration, who is trying to maybe provide some semblance of support in a backdoor sort of way, but I really don't see anything major happening in trying to turn Afghanistan around anytime soon. I just think people, the United States has had enough of it. Plus you have Ukraine. And so I don't think the nation can handle those two issues at the same time. And that's just my opinion yeah. as someone who has observed that. And it's going to take perhaps the rest of the international community, maybe France, maybe other people. Canada is is still providing some sort of aid, uh, but I just don't see it happening and emanating from the United States. Uh, well, you know, Canada, uh, I think, has provided it wasn't very willing from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was quite quite surprised that our prime minister said that we will never recognize um I mean, like in the very first day, even before anything else came out, he said, we will never recognize. And his the the whole tone was not very, not positive. I, I understand why. But um, the thing is, like, you know, what is the alternative? I mean, I, I think in Canada also, when I talk to my friends, and they are all educated people, um, and they say, oh, well, it's, it's their problems. It's not our problem. And we have done enough. We have given enough money. And but like you know, what what I say maybe the situation has come to that. But the problem that I'm raising also is that I don't. I wouldn't feel well if Canada left just like that because they made the investments. And like you know, I as a taxpayer, uh, I pay for those things, and I've got the right to ask. What did you do or you did not do that could have prevented this situation? I think it could have. Um, and, you know, if in time, this long war journal I'm talking about, if in a timely fashion, they come in and I've got them in my in my because I go into them. Um, they come in very regularly every quarter and they are constantly saying that there is um, uh, there is advances. That that's made that has been made by the um, by the Taliban. So you know one of my one of the reasons I I still am hopeful, not hopeful. You know I want to push for this this some kind of negotiation um, is because like you know we are responsible also for what has happened. And again, you know, I'm a development person. Most people wouldn't think like that, perhaps. And um, but, like as I'm saying, even the uh, even the military failure that wasn't looked at in a timely fashion. Um, and you know, I I still think that they could have had a very, um, you know, they could have had a plan. It was too speedy, without any um, uh, planning. And what happened? I read that they were making arrangements for the for the kind of crisis that we saw on TV, uh, making arrangements for that. But I don't know why nothing 
was done. Um, but I, I really, I mean, I have, honestly, I have no answer to that, except that I would like to be very optimistic. In the few minutes we have left, um, I know you said you would like to be optimistic and you do call for engagement with the Taliban at some level because they are the de facto and de jure government of, of Afghanistan. But as far as you know, and even though you've been in the development and humanitarian world, but you do understand some of the politics, who are some of the countries that are filling the void in Afghanistan since the international community has left? Okay. Um, well, and it's obviously, uh, I think it's China, Russia, Pakistan, and Iran. Um, and I, I don't think some people say India, even if it's not a border country, but I don't consider India to be in that category. They would rather st stay away. They have provided some assistance, but that's that's what it is. Um, so these are the countries, China, Russia, Iran and Pakistan. Um, you know, I don't see much, really much optimism there. Um, well, I mean, I really don't know. But the thing is, um, uh, China and these countries are probably interested to fill in the void to serve their own interests. Um, and uh, that's what they would do. But the difficulty they would face is that they, uh, you know, in various, um, in their approaches to various issues, they don't often agree. So it would be very difficult for them to work together their policies would not match and they would not be able to work together so um so that's a that's a problem if they could probably it would have been it it would be good but um i don't know if they can and also there are problems developing between pakistan and um china uh, sorry pakistan and afghanistan as well as between um uh, Iran and Afghanistan. So, you know, to resolve those issues, it would be it would be difficult. And you know, the problem is that there is very severe economic problems in the country, and um, you know, those things need to be handled as well. Even with the severe economic problems, and the last question I have for you is: Should the West view Afghanistan? as being in its self-interest as it pertains to national defense? Sorry, um, you said that it, if uh, America, you're talking about the Western countries. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. If America would, uh, would do it for their self-interest? Well... In the self-interest, but in terms of a lot of things that the United States would do, is in the they utilize the veneer of national defense. So, does Afghanistan fit a definition of national defense for countries such as the United States, perhaps Canada, uh, any of the Western European nations? Um, does can it fit in that category? To, to fill the void you're talking about? That's correct. 
to fill the vo void if some of the past, uh, like, you know, uh, past um, uh, U.S. allied powers, if they can fill the void. That's okay. what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, I guess, I mean, that's a very new way to look at it. I never thought about it because I didn't see that anybody would. But you're right. I mean, I thought maybe the Scandinavian countries um, uh, could, particularly for development. And that's what you're, you referred to, that the economic situation, uh, the Scandinavian countries could. There has been discussions between, uh, like, you know, Norway had called for a meeting and um, there were discussions. Um, uh, and so, like, you know, not much happened out of the discussions, but uh, but there were discussions and there are still European countries that are that are looking at issues. So that's a possibility. And I think mostly Nordic countries, perhaps um, uh, they can do. And Canada, I really don't know because, you know, I didn't see much. I don't see much of interest. Um, uh, in fact, even the humanitarian assistance now uh, to go from Canada to Afghanistan, it's not yet absolutely finalized. Uh, there were there were some issues that has to be looked into. What do you think about the um, about the filling in the void by the Western countries? I mean, I think if there if you begin to look at the shifting of powers, whether it's China or however you want to define them, other countries that are hedging their bet on a changing global situation. So Brazil, for example, uh, is seems to be encouraging greater relationships with, with China based on its own self-interest. So the global South is no longer looking at the United States as the predominant yeah. world power anymore. Things are shifting. And I think if the United States begins to look at this as a way of pulling in other allies, as well as Great Britain, because uh, London, England is trying to still find its its way in the world post-World War II and post-Brexit, uh, they could find self-interest in that as well. So I think they could. France is always going to be a thorn in the side of Western Europe and the United States in particular. But if they could, I think if they begin to see the world as changing alignments, Afghanistan could be a place where they may want to go again, except with a different strategy that's non-militaristic. And I think that goes back to your original point of engaging the Taliban in a way that fulfills the self-interest of both parties. Yes. So that maybe who knows see like you know uh, what i found that um when we were working there all the donors were working there um you know aid effectiveness principles hadn't been looked into aid effectiveness means that like you know it, uh, when we do a project we do not select the project only on our own you know our uh, project selection would depend on prioritization by the government. It will be difficult to do with the Taliban right now, but gradual 
uh, well, maybe that could be very enticing for the for the Taliban that is working with the donors um, and, um, you know, based on their priorities. There needs to be negotiations always, but the priorities needs to be decided by them. I mean, it, really, you will be surprised as to how badly our program was run. Not, not Canadian only, but I'm talking about in general. Um, uh, donor programs were run. Like, you know, aid effectiveness principles were not... I did the report on aid effectiveness principle for a conference that was called by the UN in Busan, um, in Korea. And um, there, you know, I mean, the, the Afghan government asked me to do the um, do the do the assessment and the report, and my conclusion was that you know we were not like you know the the donors were not aid effective. Uh, but what really bothers me is that all these things have been have been discussed. They have been said. I've written several times. I mean, it, it seems to me that you are quite well aware of what I've done, and but you know, not the not the governments of these countries, including, you know, my my own government. So I, I really don't understand what the problem is. Is that laziness or what? I, I have no clue. It could be misplaced self-interest, but we will see what the next few years will bring. And on that yeah. note, I want to thank Dr. Nipa Banerjee for joining me today on the Aguilar Conversations. And she has been quite an insightful and profound guest for us about the issue of Afghanistan. And thank you for joining us today. And join us again next week as we feature another issue of international importance here on the Aguilar Conversations, a global perspective. The Aguilar Conversations, a global perspective, is produced by Casa Margo Communications Group.